exclusive podcast from Impact 89 FM. WDBM East Lansing. 89 FM. The Impact. You're listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. In world news today, U.S. President Barack Obama has arrived in Afghanistan on a previously unannounced visit, according to the BBC. He and Afghan President Hamid Karzai have signed a 10-year accord charting future relations between the countries. The agreement outlines the U.S. role in Afghanistan after 2014, when most NATO combat forces are due to pull out. Mr. Obama is also due to give a TV address at 8 tonight. The visit comes on the first anniversary of Osama bin Laden's killing. In national news today, Occupy Wall Street protesters are staging rallies across the U.S. as they call for a nationwide general strike to mark International Workers' Day, according to the BBC. They were arrested as small groups of activists took to New York streets and marched towards Wall Street. A demonstration was also underway at San Francisco, and another was planned for Washington, D.C. In Michigan news today, a package of bills that would make it a crime to coerce a woman into having an abortion is heading to the state Senate after clearing the judiciary. Committee today, according to MLive.com. The package was approved three to zero. The bills, which already have cleared the state house, would make it a crime to force a woman into an abortion, either through assaults or threats to her persons or employment. Democrats in the state house argued that there already are laws in the books to deal with an assault, stalking, and other harassment, and such protections don't go away because a woman is pregnant. On the show tonight, we'll be talking about higher education, um, how What's happening right now is that college is becoming more expensive and people are making less money. How? What is the future of higher ed going to look like in the future? We'll also be talking to Phil Gardner. He's the director of MSU's Collegiate Employment and Research Institute, and he has some great information that MSU grads will want to know about the job market. Also on the show, we'll be having on... Mark Fain from Gun Lake. He'll be performing this Friday at the Loft with Frontier Ruckus as well as Gifts or Creatures. But right now, MSU's energy plan was passed a few weeks ago. The plan's goal is for the university to run on 40% renewable energy by 2030. To assist in that plan, the university is building what is called an anaerobic digester, which will convert waste into energy. Here to talk about this way of getting renewable energy is Dana Kirk from Biosystems and Agriculture and Engineering. Welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. So tell me about the anaerobic digester. How, how does it work? Anaerobic digestion is it's a biological, natural process. And in a tank that's sealed airtight, uh, food waste and manure and other organic byproducts will break down uh, biologically. During that breakdown, methane and other gases are released, what's called biogas. It's about 60, 50 to 70% methane, depending on what the, the the blend of material that goes into the system are. It happens at a high temperature, roughly 100 degrees Fahrenheit, so it's a warm environment. Um, We produce biogas, and then the other product is digestate, which is a liquid or a semi-solid mix of undigested solids and nutrients and all kinds of good fertilizer-type materials. And where where is this waste going to come from? The the current plan is to use uh, manure from the dairy farm, which is on south campus, uh, cafeteria food waste from as many of the residence halls as we can can utilize here on campus. Uh, 
Uh, we're also looking to partner with Lansing area uh, food processors to use their waste as well. So uh, we're working with a, a fruit and vegetable cutter in West Lansing and, and also looking at using fog from restaurants. Yeah, I was interested when I was reading um, about this anaerobic digester, I read that 21,000 tons of manure and 1,500 tons of food waste are generated every year here at MSU. And, and then I understand that the system will reuse a large amount of that waste and any material left over from that digest, digesting process will be used as fertilizer. Correct, yeah. So where will that fertilizer go? Well, MSU, while we have a lot of animals and we generate a lot of manure, we also have a fairly large land base uh, south of campus. And a lot of that's in crop production. And so we'll use that to, to offset commercial fertilizers or synthetic fertilizers. Some of the nutrients and in, in byproducts will also be exported. There's compost available at the surplus store already. Uh, and then we'll also export to, to other farmers in the area. The idea of anaerobic digestion was first reported in the 17th century, and the first anaerobic digester was built in India in the mid-1800s. Why haven't we heard much about this idea before? Anaerobic digestion is a is a... Uh, an old technology. It's been around for a long time. It has been used widely to treat uh, as a wastewater treatment process. And so they've used it in, in treatment plants. Delhi Township uh, near Holt has an anaerobic digester as part of their wastewater treatment. It's only been in the, since the, well, there were some in the 40s, but then it, since the 1970s, we've started to look at it not only as a treatment mechanism, but also as a, as a technology that can produce energy. So we can use this biogas uh, to offset conventional energy sources. And so uh, you know, in the 70s with the energy crisis, there were a lot of systems constructed in the U.S. They operated for five to ten years, and then they kind of went away because energy, energy, energy was cheap at the time. And then with the push uh, in 2000 and beyond for greenhouse gas emission reductions and, and renewable energy sources, you start to see a, a new interest in anaerobic digestion uh, in the U.S., Europe, and then all around the world. So, $5 million has been al allocated to pay for this proposed digester. How long will it take to pay for itself in terms of producing energy? Yep. Currently, we're finishing our contracting of, of how we're going to use the energy here on campus, but also how we're going to get these feedstocks to the digester. Uh, until we get those finalized, we won't know the full revenue side of it. But we're looking at uh, probably 10 to 15 years, 12 to 15 years, somewhere in that range as far as the time it'll take for the system to repay and, and start generating new revenue for the university. There's an anaerobic digestion and research center here at MSU, which I didn't know existed. How long has it been around and what goes on there? Uh, the the ADREC, or Anaerobic Digestion Research and Education <laughs> Center, was founded and formed in 2008. Uh, and it sits um, at the Biosystems and Environmental Teaching Center on College Road. It... Uh, it, it's been around since 2008. Uh, it serves two purposes or three purposes, I guess. One, to do traditional university research. Uh, we also do a lot of industrial-supported research. So we work with the food processors and the livestock farms and uh, wastewater treatment plants here in Michigan to look at ways to digest their waste products, enhance their existing anaerobic digesters. Uh, and then we work around the U.S. and internationally on smaller-scale systems as well. We also do a lot of training and education for not only our students, but for professional working professionals in the industry. And so we annually host a, an operator training course that brings in professional operators from Michigan as well as around the United States. So it's kind of a teaching outreach and education center. I understand that this project uh, should be completed in the summer of 2013, or it's proposed to, to be completed around then. Where will this anaerobic digester be housed here at MSU? 
Currently, we are we are planning to to house it near the compost facility near the dairy farm uh, on College Road. There is a smaller research digester that's already there, and that's using some of the manure from the dairy farm as well as some of the food waste. Uh, all the pulp waste from Brody is currently being digested there, so uh, that's one of the things that we've already have going on. So we're looking to set it very close to that existing system so that we can operate the research aspect as well as this energy production treatment system as kind of one unit. Are we utilizing the energy that's going on at the research uh, anaerobic digester currently that's taking place? We are, in a way, utilizing the energy. It is it is generating heat that's sustain, sustaining the process, and we're also using heat in some of the adjacent buildings to it. It's small. It's too small to really generate electricity uh, in a meaningful way, and so we're not generating electricity today, uh, just heat. Okay. Again, MSC recently passed its energy transition plan in which the university aims to run on 40% renewable energy by 2030. How much of that renewable energy will come from the anaerobic digester? A very small fraction. Okay. But uh, so we're looking at, at generating initially probably 500 kilowatts, and it could be scaled up to as much as 800 to a megawatt. Uh, which if, translates to? <laughs> which uh, translates to maybe uh, 1% of, of what campus really needs. Uh, okay. But the, the value in it isn't really – I mean, energy is very important here. But the thing that's really important is that we're diverting a lot of materials from uh, landfills and from other – uh, disposals, we're going to be able to recycle those things that were once landfilled, like food waste uh, and some of these other uh, food processing byproducts. And we're also going to reduce emissions and reduce odors from all of these wastes, including the animal manure. So we are controlling greenhouse gas emissions. We're doing a lot of good as far as reducing the amount of material we send to the landfill, recycling carbon and nitrogen and phosphorus, and in the process also generating energy. So it's kind of a holistic way to, to take care of your waste. Oh, excellent. So in the studio is Dana Kirk. He's from the Biosystem and Agricultural Engineering, and he was here to talk about the anaerobic digester. Dana Kirk, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Very good. Thank you. You're listening to Impact Exposure. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Friday nights at 10 p.m., get ready for The Mechanical Pulse, where we're spinning all the house, trance, drum and bass, electro, ambient, and remixed music you need to get the weekend started. You'll hear live interviews and DJs spinning straight from the Impact Studios and the best new music on the scene. So tune in every Friday night at 10 p.m. for Mechanical Pulse. Only on 88.9 The Impact. Have you ever considered donating your blood? If not, perhaps you might reconsider. By the time this announcement is through, 15 new people will need blood. In fact, blood is needed by one in every 10 hospital patients, and there is almost always a shortage. There is no substitute for human blood. It cannot be manufactured. It can only come from those willing to donate. To learn more or make an appointment, visit redcrossblood.org. Reconsider blood donation. It's about life. Now back to Impact Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. There's a folk show happening at The Loft this Friday. There you can hear from Frontier Ruckus and Gisser Creatures. And here in the studio right now is Mark Fain. He's the frontman of Ann Arbor-based band Gun Lake, who will perform Friday at The Loft as well. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you. So what you were in the studio? When was that? Last last semester or so, or around? It was uh, for Jan- the um, the record lounge is um, 
middle of the mitten. Yes, middle of the mitten. So that was that was around January. Yeah. Um, what have you What have you been up to lately? Since uh, then, still, you know, writing writing new music. Um, started recording it. Um, so we're recording it in Ann Arbor at uh, Big Sky Studios with uh, friend Ben Collins. He was actually the original bassist of Gun Lake, um, and that's that's kind of what I'm trying to keep doing. But uh, this summer is going to be fruitful. I hope. How so? Uh, well, we're continuing with, with writing um, and recording. Uh, I'd like to have the EP done um, this summer, and we're going to you know, get a PR company on board with that and sort of uh, get, the, get the word out about it. Um, and then also I, you know, I hope to do some East Coast stuff, um, kind of get out there a little bit. Uh, we did that last summer, and that was, that was really cool to... Um, I don't know. It's good to to for for local fans as well to see that you're out there doing stuff, um, but then also you you stand to gain with uh, you know people elsewhere in the country. So, mm-hmm. so uh, it's exciting to hear that you're working on an EP. Is there any general theme that 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 your EP is kind of exploring? Or um, let's see. Well, the song that I'm going to play today uh, is is sort of one that it, it's stuff that's. Um, it's sort of dealing with being an adult in the world we like we live in uh the uh this sort of um routine uh mundane existence that uh even though it's you know pretty good it's like there's just this dissatisfaction that everybody has um because nothing goes exactly how anyone wants it to go you know mm-hmm. everyone has their own idea of how things should go but uh yeah, I, I guess there's. It's sort of this. Yeah, my life's okay, but it's not. <laughs> Still, it's just like striving for for that thing, um, whatever that may be. Would you like to play this said song? Yeah, I could. I could do that. I. Ha- you have to forgive me. I got here just now, and I have to tune a little bit. So again, for those that are just tuning in, uh, this is Mark Fain. He's a part of Gun Lake. He'll be performing this Friday at the Loft along with Frontier Ruckus and Gifts Are Creatures. Uh, it's kind of a folk-themed show, and uh, Gun Lake is right out of Ann Arbor. Um, how long have you guys been together for? It's just been a year or two. Well, um, we played our first show early 2010, so mm-hmm. it's been about a couple of years now. Yeah. The album uh, came out last March. That's been out in just over a year now. Mm-hmm. So... Okay, yeah, I'm good. You ready? Yep. Wonderful. Uh, This song's called 247365. My girl, she is the finest. Yeah, she helps check the wine list when I am feeling low. morning with no dread in my head I got it good enough I know not where I am going but my book is said I only gotta keep the line in tow I have been warned 
Mark Fain. He is the frontman of Gun Lake, an Ann Arbor-based band. He'll be performing this Friday at the Loft along with Gifts or Creatures. They're from Lansing and Frontier Ruckus, many of which uh, were born and raised. I wouldn't say born and raised, but they all went, most of them went to here to MSU. And again, that's this Friday at the Loft. So, Mark, I I was last time you were on the show, I talked to you a little bit after you performed, and um, I had recently picked up the guitar. I, I My parents gave me a guitar probably when I was in high school and I never really did anything with it. Now I'm actually starting to play it. And, and then I listened to you play. And I was like, Oh gosh, I wish I have so much farther to go. <laughs> so when did, when did you start playing guitar? And um, what, what made you want to play it? Well, I've always played music. Um, I've always loved music. Um, I, I, 
played piano in elementary school and stuff, but I just didn't think that was cool enough. So I, <laughs> I, I think in fifth or sixth grade, I think fifth grade, I persuaded my parents to, you know, go ahead and, well, actually we had a, a you know, pretty, uh, you know, old acoustic at, at our house um, that I was playing, but then I, I twisted their arm and they got me an electric for Christmas and I was so excited. Um, and yeah, so I started playing, you know, Green Day and Blink-182 <laughs> and all those mm-hmm. amazing bands. Uh, and, yeah, that's how I kind of picked it up. So your last song was called 247365. Where did you get that name from? Yeah, uh, well, it's, it's as simple as 24-7, 365 days a year. Uh, yeah, just kind of a, uh, in a different routine, everyday thing. Ah, that makes so much more sense now that you say it that way. <laughs> yeah, just a the numbers, numbers are right in like, front of me, and I'm like, man, that's not an area code. It's, it's a, a code, yeah. It's a, uh, it's it's like kind of like Lost, you know, the, the sequence that Desmond has to punch into the thing to <laughs> yeah. prevent the world from ending. That's what that is. Oh, lovely. <laughs> you grew up in Gaylord, Michigan, yes. and you wrote once in a blog that you were not raised in a hotbed of indie rock shows and musical act. Eclecticism. Oh, man, I can't pronounce it. Eclecticism. There we go. (laughs) I was missing some consonants. Um, How would you get involved? uh, How did you get involved in the folk scene in Michigan, and what drew you to the genre? Um, I guess, you know, I I, I always say that I'm, I guess I'm I'm folk by uh, presentation, but uh, I don't necessarily think of myself as a traditional folky uh, songwriter. I just write songs with an acoustic guitar, and I think that kind of automatically becomes folk music. But um, I, I, I've, you know, like I, I listened to Simon and Garfunkel a lot in growing up, and you know, all, all the old stuff that is universal. It's not indie music, or it doesn't have to be, um, you know, a, a big city where indie bands are coming. I mean, that stuff is, and anyone you know knows that stuff. So, I mean, there's definitely a base of that, and then. Um, you know, British rock was like kind of my my go-to uh, stuff. You know, Radiohead and then older stuff, the Beatles and the Kinks, and um, and then Elliot Smith became huge, which I kind of I guess kind of is folk. But I don't know. That sort of became my my uh, my whole like I guess world of songwriting. That that sort of uh, defined how I how I go about things. In in how what inspires you to write music now? Um, well, there's just like a, a natural drive, I think, um, as an artist to create. Um, it's it's just you know if a, if a painter is is a painter, you know he's going to paint. Um, so I think there's that, but you know there are also things that I I'm a very opinionated person. I see and and hear things and read things and. Um, it's it's hard to to put that in music without just being, you know. I don't want to be bluntly political in in my music, but I don't like I I kind of am a political person, um, definitely um, empathic. I think uh, so. I, I try to get that across in ways that are are going to be you know more universal and not uh, divisive. I, I think. Mm-hmm. So usually I have you play two songs tonight. Would you be willing to play three? I could do that. Do you have I three could. prepared? Um, yeah, I could play some more. So let's take a break here in the middle of my questions, and let's let's have you play uh, another song here. Cool. 
Oh, um, right now. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I to, I, so I need to tune. Okay. To so again, else. I'll do an, another uh, uh, shout out for the show on Friday, in which uh, again I'm talking with Mark Fain. He's with Gun Lake. He'll be performing this Friday along with Lansing Zone, Gifts Are Creatures, and MSU's Frontier Ruckus. Frontier Ruckus has been doing a great job since they've uh, most of them graduated from MSU maybe two, three years ago or so. Um, but they will all be playing at the Loft. It'll be a nice folk show this Friday evening. And again, that loft, the loft is in downtown Lansing. Are you ready, Mark? Yeah, I, I, I need to kind of um, prompt this one. This one is, I've never performed it before, and uh, I wasn't going to perform it, but I, it might be fun. But forgive me if I totally screw this up. All right. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Don't feel the 
I commend him so much for playing a song he has never played before in front of anyone, let alone an audience of you that are sitting in your car, sitting in your homes, listening to your radio. So thank you, Mark Fain, for premiering that song here on Impact 89 FM. Thank you. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> and again, Mark Fain is a part of Gun Lake. They'll be performing this Friday along with Gifts or Creatures and Frontier Ruckus. So, Mark, how do you feel about playing with um, those two other bands at the Loft this Friday? Yeah, um... I, I love both of those bands. Um, Brandon uh, from Gifts or Creatures has been, um, you know, he's been very complimentary about us since, you know, he's he's known of us and uh, and vice versa. So I saw them at the Loft, or I'm sorry, not the Loft, um, at the Ark in, in Ann Arbor um, with the photographers who are now disbanded but are also, were, were also awesome. Um, but yeah, they, that, that's, I'm, I'm really excited to, to finally be playing with with um, his band because we've been talking about uh, getting something together and it's just never worked out and then like this just sort of felt serendipitous that it should work out um, and then Frontier Ruckus obviously is you know they're doing amazing things and are it's it's awesome that they're representing the, the state and uh, the music scene here because um, they're touring all the time they're touring everywhere I think actually when I I talked to uh, Davy Jones the banjo player about promoting this show and uh he was in texas i think sacramento or i'm sorry not sacramento san antonio sacramento's in california um so yeah they're obviously all over the place um and which is just which is just awesome and yeah i mean I, their their music's killer uh i can't wait to hear the saw because mm-hmm. i love i love a good saw player and uh yeah we were gonna have we were gonna if we had one more player because you know Gun Lake performances in different variations quite a bit. Um, if we had one more fill-in bassist, uh, we were going to have Ben Collins, who's going to be playing bass for the show, uh, play pedal steel, which unfortunately that won't work out now. And how would you describe what pedal steel is? Pedal steel is the the quintessence of every good country song, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in my opinion. Uh, even even the really bad country that's on the radio, I, I can listen to it because there's pedal steel in there. <laughs> right. Because it's such a difficult instrument. It's kind of like the organ, but a, a guitar, because you play things with your knees and the, your feet, your pedals, and then you're also sliding and picking. It's pretty much a crazy coordination instrument. Mm-hmm. So. And, and who who else, who would you say are some of your favorite bands that, that are Michigan-based? Uh, Lightning Love. 
I, I have always loved them. Um, the Juliet, uh, uh, Frontier Ruckus. I mean, there, there are those that are just, like, on the short list, you know, uh, Chris Bathgate. Um, but also, you know, and, and now I'm going to embarrass myself because there are so many. Uh, Father Son, who actually... Um, He's played bass in, with us from time to time, but he's playing. Uh, he's doing some awesome stuff, and, and he's gotten. He just played with the Atlas Sound uh, in Ann Arbor. He's he's doing really cool stuff. He's kind of a laptop musician, but he writes. He writes real songs. He's not. He doesn't mm-hmm. just make blips and bloops that kind of aim to make you simply be annoyed. Uh, yeah. So Father Son is really good. He and it's spelled no vowels. Father Son no vowels. Um, Amateur Anthropologist is a raucous punk band that we love, um, love to play with. How many, how many people will be, uh, performing? You're saying that, that, uh, Gun Lake, you know, it's, it's been changing a lot lately as far as band members. Who will be performing this Friday? Uh, it'll be myself, um, Ben Collins on bass and Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan, um, my guitar player, he's, he's consistent, like he's mm-hmm. kind of the other permanent member of Gun Lake, and then the rest of us, or the rest of the time, we kind of, uh, yeah, get, get, get friends. Um, and then Max Munson, who is the drummer who played on the album, mm-hmm. uh, so he'll, he'll be back for this show, which is cool. I love, love playing with Max. All right, well, we are unfortunately running out of time, but do you want to play one more song for us? Sure, I can do that. I, I'll play one now that I know well, so I, I shouldn't mess this up. You this guys is can not a premiere for the impact, unfortunately. Yeah, throw things at me if I mess this up. Okay. Ooh, that's one second. Again, I'm talking with Mark Fain. He's a part of Gun Lake. He'll be performing this Friday at the Loft again with Gifted Creatures and Frontier Ruckus. Oh, forgive that. Sorry. This is called Stormy Country. It's on our album. I was walking through the stormy country You were walking through the stormy country And the rain, it pierced right through our hides I gave my hand then and ran against the rain We found a roof and everything was changed You moved so very close to me We're safe inside our submarine To a polyrhythmic wash of sound We wrong each other out We bow to what until now Was ruefully drowned by the sovereign art Of a Oh, we 
were safe inside our submarine To a polyrhythmic wash of sound We wrung each other out I never thought that I could be anywhere better No, I never thought that I could be anywhere better than here. I was walking through the stormy country. You were walking through the stormy country. I was walking through the stormy country. You were walking through the stormy country. I was studio is Mark Fain of Gun Lake. He'll be performing along with Gifts or Creatures and Frontier Ruckus this weekend at The Loft. Mark, thanks so much for coming in tonight. Thank you, Emily. You're listening to Impact Exposure. We've just received word of an invasion. Speak quickly, maggot. Is it those Canadians again? I don't know, sir. We've just heard that Monday at 8 p.m. the impact will be invaded. You stupid ninny. That's the Asian invasion. It's the poppiest, catchiest, and all-around toe-tappingest music out of the Korea, Japan, and China. But, sir, I'm no good with Asian dialects. Shut up and listen to the music, private. That catchy beat knows no language barrier. Now move out, everyone. Sir, yes, sir. The Asian invasion. Monday nights from 8 till 10 on The Impact. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Thursday nights from 10 until 2 a.m. Listen to the Hours of Power, the scariest and only metal show in the mid-Michigan area. Only on Impact Primetime. Now back to Impact Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. Uh, this weekend, MSU students will graduate with degrees from MSU. Many will have loans to pay off and will be doing so for years to come. In the meantime, college is getting more expensive year after year and is becoming harder to access for lower-income families. In the studio is Don Heller, the dean of MSU's College of Education, here to talk about the issues facing higher education today. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Emily. So you have said that higher education in the United States is under attack. How so? Well, there's a lot of criticism of colleges and universities for being too expensive for students who aren't graduating, for students who are graduating but not getting jobs. So we're under attack from both politicians as well as the public and the media. I graduated with a BA in music education last last May. Now I'm getting uh, my master's, but I'm watching some of my friends who are teaching now and they're and they're struggling to pay off their loans on a first year teacher's salary. Can you tell me about the model in which some universities are making programs like engineering, science, and technology more expensive than majors like humanities? 
Well, there's a lot of universities that are talk about uh, talking about differentiating tuition based on the major that uh, students uh, choose. There haven't been a lot that have gone far down that road. Uh, I don't think Michigan State is ready for something like that. But sooner or later, as the cost of tuition continues to rise, I think you're going to find universities looking at those majors that, first of all, cost more money because they have laboratories and things like that, but also where their graduates earn more in the labor markets. And I think universities are going to start to realize that they're going to have to charge more for those programs and less for those programs where students don't have the kind of lucrative jobs they get at the end of their degree. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense on one hand. I mean, I think about my program was a five-year program, which is longer than than most. People are racking up a little more debt, mm-hmm. not getting paid as much. But at the same time, do you think that it would inhibit some people from majoring in things like engineering and science because it's more expensive? This is the rub against differentiating tuition by the major, that we don't want to price out of particular programs students who can't afford them. So any university that's going to do that has to also make sure it has financial aid for students who need it so that a student can choose which program they're going to major in, which degree they're going to get without worrying about whether they can afford it or not. With college getting more and more expensive, do you foresee it being a place for only the elite in the future? And, and if if so, how would that affect the U.S. in the long run? Well, that's a real concern that uh, as college gets more and more expensive, students from low and moderate income families won't be able to afford it. it it's not so much uh, they're not going to be able to afford college. My concern is that if you look down the road, we're going to get to a point where we have students from uh, upper income families who can afford to go to a nice residential college like Michigan State University, take courses, partake in all the activities that we have here. But if you're a student from a poorer family, the only options you're going to have would be an online education. And that, I think, would be a real shame, not just for those students, but also for the nation. You have said that Michigan public universities are worse off than the rest of the nation, having experienced funding declines of more than 26 percent since 2001. How has that affected college students in Michigan and and perhaps the job market? Well, the biggest impact certainly is the students are paying more for their education because of the cut in appropriations from the state legislature and governors. So that's the largest impact. You know, if this if we continue down this road, you're likely to see the point where we can't offer as many courses as frequently as we'd like, and that could stretch out the amount of time it takes students to earn a degree and get out into the labor markets. I don't think we're there yet at Michigan State, but certainly in other states we've seen that pattern. California, for example, is the poster child for this. Uh, universities that just don't have the resources to be able to offer the courses that students need to be able to graduate, and students are stretching out how long it's taking them to earn a degree. One of your many specialties is looking at the issue of college access and and choice for low-income minority students. What are some interesting bits of information you've learned while, while looking at that topic and issue? Well, probably the most interesting thing is it's exactly these kinds of students who are getting priced out of going to college as tuition goes up, or they're getting forced into a lower-cost institution. Sometimes that's a community college instead of a four-year university or a lower-cost public university. Probably the key thing with these students is making sure they know about the kind of financial aid that's available to them, because there is lots of financial aid out there. I also have a lot of concerns about the attacks on student loans. Um, You know, appropriate levels of borrowing make sense for a student who's going to do that to earn a bachelor's degree, but there's been lots out there in the media that focus on students who borrow $100,000 a year for their bachelor's degree, and yet those are nothing more than anecdotes, that the average borrowing that students are engaging in, those students who are getting a bachelor's degree, are reasonable amounts, and most students are able to pay those back. Mm-hmm. Michigan experienced a drop of 12% for state appropriations for higher education in the past year. And you under you believe that state appropriation will not recover after this recession and as it has in the past. Why do you think that? 
Well, it's really, it's the politics, Emily. As states have fewer and fewer resources, they're less, just less willing to put money into higher education. And all the indicators are that we're going to be very lucky to see probably level funding, maybe very modest increases, whereas in the past, in a recession, when we had cuts to higher education, uh, once the recession was over, most legislators and governors were willing to put money back in and invest it in higher education. And politically, it just doesn't look like there's that will to do that anymore. What can we learn from other countries as it relates to higher education and making it affordable and and accessible? Uh, That's a good question. Uh, Certainly in other countries, we're seeing the same kinds of trends here. There are many European countries, for example, that uh, a decade ago had free higher education. Students didn't have to pay any tuition. In fact, received living stipends from the government. The trend, however, in most of those countries now is to start to charge tuition just as we do. Uh, In England, for example, uh, they've made a decision about a year ago to go ahead and increase tuition fees there so that once that's implemented, you're going to find that tuition fees in England, which historically have been much lower than the U.S., will actually be higher than the typical public university in the United States. So it's not that we can learn that much from the other countries. They're really catching up to us. Hmm. That's interesting. How is MSU trying to tackle with the issue of college access and affordability? Well, the university's got a, a number of initiatives. Certainly a very important thing they did a number of years ago was make a commitment to low and moderate income students by focusing their institutional financial aid resources on them. So they make a commitment to those students that they come to the university, get a degree, graduate with very reasonable levels of debt, and go off into the workforce with that. That's a, a, certainly an important thing. I think it, it, the board and the administration is doing its best to try to hold down tuition increases uh, as best as they can. However, the reality is if we want to maintain the quality of education, we need resources to do that. And if they're not going to come from the legislature, the next big source is students and parents. Do you foresee the situation happening in which more jobs require a bachelor degree, yet less people can afford that degree? And if so, is there any way to avoid that situation? Well, that's a two-part question. And the first part is, yeah, certainly all the projections about labor markets down the road are that more and more students are going to need some form of post-secondary training. And, and I say that to distinguish from a bachelor's degree because it's not necessarily these jobs are all going to require a bachelor's degree, but they require some kind of training that students get after they graduate from high school. And that could be a community college, it could be a proprietary institution, it could be a short-term certificate, uh, or it could be a bachelor's degree. So there certainly are going to be increased demands for those kinds of credentials. Whether students can afford to get them, that's a real question, and ultimately it's going to be up to policymakers here in Michigan as well as in Washington and institutional leaders to ensure that they've got enough financial aid to be able to get students into the colleges and through to a degree once they're there. You you study policy. Um, you've also studied policy. What would you like to see higher education uh, see a change in higher education policy and finance in Michigan? Well, I think the the primary thing the state needs to do is to focus on financial aid. Um, the state of Michigan has cut its financial aid budget by about three quarters, going back about three or four years ago before the recession. So the most important thing the state could do to ensure that those low and moderate income students, and these are the students who are on the margins of going to college or not, that these students can actually afford to go to college is to re-appropriate uh, funds for the state financial aid programs. And those should be need-based funds targeted at these students, Uh, and give them the kind of help they need in addition to federal and institutional financial aid to be able to afford to go to college. Well, in the studio is Don Heller. He is the dean of MSU's College of Education, and he was in to talk about the issues facing higher education today. Don Heller, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Emily.
You're listening to Impact Exposure. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. A lot of gamers look at you as a game member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's progressive torch and twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Primetime. Now back to Impact Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. We just talked about issues facing higher education today. Now I want to talk about the job market for college grads is Phil Gardner, director of MSU's Collegiate Employment and Research Institute. Welcome to the show. Good evening. Tell me a little bit about uh, the survey that you conducted that talked about the job prospects of grads and, and tell me how the survey was conducted. Well, we do this every year. We've done it for 41 years, and we've in the fall, we uh, survey uh, a large number of employers across the country about what their intentions are for the, this coming academic year with regards to hiring. And probably the biggest change in the last couple of years is we now have 150 colleges and universities around the country that tap into their employer base. So we're now approaching somewhere between up to 6,000 employers, depending on what they do in the in the in the college market. Some are hiring full-time, some are intern co-op program managers, some are looking for experienced hires. So we're getting a much better picture of what's going on right now. Can you tell me about this year's recruiting trends and and what what the college market is like for college grads? Are we seeing more job opportunities? We're seeing more job opportunities. I mean, we've we've had two years of growth. Last year's was not a stable market, but this year it's it looks strong and it's got breadth and depth, so we're happy with this market. Um, it's certainly not enough to make enough jobs go around for everybody. Um, we've got a long ways to go to get back to where we were in 2007. But again, we're making progress, particularly in Michigan is making progress, uh, so uh, we come out of an even deeper hole. But we're seeing steady pet growth, uh, particularly among small employers in Michigan, which is a good sign. Mm-hmm. And what majors are in the most demand right now? Well, if you want to, it depends on who you want to read. No, mm-hmm. uh, in my report, it's all majors. Uh, the forty percent of employers indicate we're not particularly worried about what major we want skills and competencies, and we're looking for the very best talent we can find. Other than that, you've got two groups. You've got your usual suspects that we always see in a good market: engineering's coming back, particularly electrical and uh, computer engineering and mechanical starting to pick up. Some of the others are a little softer. Uh, accounting uh, and finance, they tend to be stronger. But we're also seeing a group of majors you usually wouldn't expect, marketing, uh, advertising, public relations, all dealing with sales, uh, human resources as companies try to beef up human resources, and 
anything that deals with information, uh, math, statistics are big, but any major where this student has had the ability to manage data sets, handle quantitative data analysis, which should run in through all majors actually now because it's practically a job requirement. So those are the areas that are being looked at first. And what industries are hiring right Every now? Every one of them. Every one of them. Uh, only except the only only weak spot is government, and uh. that's because state and local governments are are in trouble in most parts of the country and have cut back hiring. But uh, there's some subsectors that are bad. But um, uh, manufacturing's up. Professional scientific services is up. Uh, so except for law, laws in having problems, uh, but most of the fields are up. And what part of the United States is hiring the most right now? Uh, the, well, I don't know about the level the most, but the most improved continue to be the Midwest. Mm. Uh, and then followed by uh, the Southeast, Southwest. The only place we see some trouble in the college market is in the Northwest. I don't know if it's a sample problem. They do have some issues in, in their uh, the market up there, but uh, most of the markets are rebounding nicely. Um, and, and I said the Midwest is doing, uh, particularly the eastern part of the Midwest, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, have, are pulling back up. Yeah, I was surprised to see that the Great Lakes region uh, will see double-digit hiring growth this year. Why do, why do you think that is? Well, we were down really far, uh, and and started this recession started much earlier, so employers haven't been hiring, and now they've just faced the need to to hire. The auto industries have bounced back and stabilized, so that means that their their suppliers are beginning to hire more. That means that other sectors of the economy that feed off of uh, a sound manufacturing base, which the Midwest still is, uh, are beginning to pick up. Plus, uh, in Michigan, in Ohio, in particular, where large companies have dominated for so long, they've kind of smothered small uh, and startup businesses. It wasn't part of our culture. And when the big companies kind of had to step aside and solve their problems, these companies now have gained ground. They're, they're getting momentum. Uh, we, they're more visible. They're, we support them. And so it's beginning to pay off. It's going to be a slow process, but it's beginning to pay off. I understand from the survey that people with bachelor's, MBA, and doctor degrees will be the most sought out this year. Well, that's just because of the nature of the sample. I mean, the associate degrees are stable, and that, and mainly because they're technical degrees, they're probably at a pretty good balance. But, we're, yeah, the growth is at, at the BA uh, and the upper divisions, BA because they're getting ready to replace a lot of boomers and retiring, PhDs because we're starting to pick up a lot of startup small companies and they want PhDs, and MBAs just kind of fill in the gap. Uh, are employers, would you say that employers are more likely to hire folks right out of college or people who have been in the workforce but have been laid off and getting back into that job? Well, it, I mean, that's a big spectrum of people. Uh, right now, there's two issues. There's Experienced people with more than, say, four years' experience, that's a, that's a separate issue. Then we've got all your peers that have graduated the last three years that may have jobs that are attached, and that's a very serious issue, a very, very serious issue. And then we have the new graduates. And it looks like employers right now are favoring new graduates just because they're easier to find, they're quicker to deal with, they don't have a lot of resources geared up for HR, so just get them on campus. Mm-hmm. We've got a huge problem in this group that's graduated the last four years, a huge problem. Right. Well, anything else that was interesting as, uh, as part of the study that, that you looked at? Well, I think the biggest things are is internships are increasingly important. Uh, it is now one of the most strategic ways that employers find new talent. So it's imperative that you have 
students have good internships. And the rising second one that is growing fast is alumni and the use of and the interrelations of alumni back on campus for, you know, in, in multiple ways. But employers using alumni from Michigan State to come and actually identify talent at Michigan State is one of the key ways that most employers are now recruiting. So internships, relations with alumni, so all the career services, LinkedIn sites that link to employers are really important. Well, in the studio is Phil Gardner. He's the director of MSU's Collegiate Employment and Research Institute, and he was just here to talk about uh, the job market for MSU college grads. People are graduating this weekend. And uh, speaking of uh, graduation, this week is finals week here at MSU, and up next is the Michigan Storytelling segment in which MSU student Angelina Mosier talks about one of her not-so-favorite classes she took here at MSU. Storytelling segment. This is Angelina Mosier. So as a student at Michigan State University, um, I have learned that there are various injustices in the world and <laughs> university requirements. Yep. Those gen eds are one of them. Here we go. Econ 202. Too boring, too early, and her voice is like a tumor making my head ache. My two eyes detach from these two graphs that are detached from reality. Slope shifts and slides like snakes and ladders. So go ahead, roll the die, then digest and digress in any direction, but move along. These are gains and loss, and the lines will intersect because this is equilibrium, not equality, not even shareholder equity because there's no sharing or holding involved. This is not friends with benefits. <laughs> benefits, whether healthcare or social security, the econ man is not your carrier. He does not provide insurance. For assurance, look to infallible theories and flawless models walking down runways, alleyways, shifting her hips of hypothesis, pressing her lips of luxury against Adam Smith, whose game is unseen. As he moves with his invisible hand, if you know what I mean. And if you detect a defect, don't question the deception because deep inspection is dangerous. And the dissection of models is like performing plastic surgery, drawing little X's with black markers that mark the X-axis perfectly perpendicular with the Y-axis. Why? Ask us what to do to get the skinny quick. Don't limit what you eat, but diversify your greed. And when it comes to stocks and bonds, I can post your bond. But when it comes to your live stock, I mean life. These are the principles of economics and trade makes everybody better off. Are you following me down this rabbit hole, Alice? This isn't wonderland. This is opportunity land where the myth of meritocracy is the sign of our surplus of hypocrisy. Econ 202. Too fake, too take, for real. And for the Michigan Storytelling segment, that was Angelina Mosier. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, you've been listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure.